Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This is Ryan Off The Grid, and you're listening to the Impact Outdoors podcast. I mean, that was one of the things about when I first started filming, I was worried that I wouldn't be part of it. I felt like I wouldn't be, you know, if I wasn't pulling the trigger and it couldn't be more opposite. Um, you know, not only do you need to know everything that's going on when you're filming, but you're, you're kind of guiding at the same time and mentoring at the same time. And, uh, you know, what some people are calling them adult onset hunters, you know, like, uh, uh, there's a lot of vets that have never hunted. And, uh, but if I take someone and I see them feel what I'm feeling, and feel what I felt, you know, the first couple times, and um, you know, continue as a you know very experienced hunter to feel. Uh, then I get I get jazzed, like I <laughs> like I get real wound up when I'm able to give that to someone else. I mean, that that to me is better. I, I, I barely pull the trigger. I, I mean, even this last week in Florida, I, I had I don't think I don't think I after I shot my my fullest duck, I was like, man, I think that's the first time this season besides cranes that I shot at. A bird minus a camera and i was i'm okay with that hey everybody welcome back to another episode of the impact outdoors podcast on on this week's episode we are joined by ryan bodwin otherwise known as ryan off the grid on social media and uh through his video production company and and ryan is a a, a great guy i'm really glad we got to connect and get on to this podcast together um He's a Marine combat vet and does a ton of great things, getting veterans back into the outdoors and giving them the opportunity to, to, um, to be around other veterans and stuff. And, and we had a great conversation about uh, his journey from finding his way in life, basically, in photography and how that transpired into TV and the videography side of things and, and what all he's able to do today across the United States and beyond. So... Let's get right into this one with Ryan off the grid. Well, I'm excited about this episode. Um, been wanting to have Ryan on the show for quite a while, and, and we finally got to connect and and uh, get you on here. But welcome to the show, Ryan. How are you doing, man? Thank you. Real good. Thanks for having me on. So it's a uh, it's it's. It's a job to keep up with you, watching you all this stuff you do on Instagram and everything. You're you're pretty active on there, and uh, you've been doing some incredible stuff. Um, you've got a, a really cool story, and and especially um, all the stuff you do with the veterans and 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 your videography stuff is just amazing. Um, I watched a couple of those today, and um, just really enjoy seeing the stuff you're putting out and um, and the passion behind it. So. Um, why don't you uh, start out and just kind of give us a little background on you and kind of kind of your road to where you're at now? Sure. Uh, I grew up uh, in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin, which is about a half hour north of Green Bay, a uh, small little town of 9,000. 
I uh, didn't really have much of a, a hunting background. It's a real big fishing community being right there in the Bay of Green Bay and Lake Michigan. Uh, fished a lot. I uh, didn't really have that opportunity to hunt that much. I didn't have a lot of family that hunted. Um, I did, you know, I deer hunted a little bit um, and kind of went out with the boys. You know, I, I had to buy all my own stuff because there was no hand-me-downs. Um, yeah. So we did a lot of small game, just, you know, 13, 14, 15-year-old kids out in the field shooting whatever's available. Um, you know, so I, I wasn't a hunter. It was just, a, you know, what everybody else was doing and what I could get an opportunity for. Uh, joined the Marine Corps right out of high school. Uh, I was in the Marine Corps from 99 to 06 with a deployment to Iraq in uh, 04 and 05. Mm-hmm. Um, got back from Iraq and moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, went to college there. Uh, finished college. Uh, taught high school for a year, actually, in the inner city. Um, and then a job with the federal government popped up and I worked uh, an office job for about eight years and uh, really struggled kind of readapting to society and uh, civilian life. Um, I was already struggling with PTSD from, from combat mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I, I lost both my parents in 2011. That's like the, the, the turning point in my life um, really struggled with alcohol. Um, and I got invited on a, a veterans duck hunt at Horicon, Wisconsin. Uh, the, the Horicon Marsh is the largest freshwater cattail marsh in North America. I mean, it's massive. I think there's like eight cities and villages that, that border it. Um, I went out there uh, just just to, to kind of see what it was about, and I left a full-fledged duck hunter. I mean, I was obsessed. Yeah. Uh, when I got there, I thought everything was a mallard, and I, I think it was the diversity of the species um and duck hunting and and the veteran community really kind of goes a, a very hand in hand it, it it meshes well i mean the the worst weather is duck weather you know when you're marine infantry uh we say embrace the suck when you're all sharing misery um <laughs> you, you tend to joke and laugh and uh duck hunting is a lot about uh who can who can pick on the other guy better and who can tell a, a taller tale and Yep. Um, just really took to it and uh by that following spring i'd picked up a camera and uh started chasing ducks with the with the lens uh you know setting up decoys and started posting pictures on facebook and uh i mean several people were messaging me or commenting like hey like you're really good at this and i mean i had a little point and shoot casio it was, yeah. a, it was a pocket camera that i had in iraq and uh, i went and bought better equipment and quit my job and took off across the country taking pictures at zoos marshes whatever and Mm -hmm. eventually got contacted by an acquaintance on facebook that said hey uh, i see your pictures your your pictures are phenomenal you know how to film and i was like man i have no idea but i know my cameras do it um what you got he says come on down to texas we're filming a turkey hunt Uh, you can hunt uh, you know, once we get all the footage we need and, uh, on the way down there, he said, uh, by the way, uh, I just got picked up with pursuit channel. So we're trying to get a TV show together. This is where this is going. And <laughs> the, the rest is kind of history. I mean, they put me in front of the camera and through the course of, uh, three or four seasons on pursuit channel, uh, yep. in front of the camera, behind the camera, editing, uh, eventually producing and, uh, at the what you know when that had kind of run its course uh i you know was still hunting and fishing and taking pictures and videoing and kind of doing my own thing i decided mm-hmm. to start a a nonprofit uh called high point adventures uh to take veterans on on outdoor and uh you know excursions across the country and it, it was kind of coming full circle that had kind of brought me out of my my funk and i wanted to be able to use the network i had built to to give that to other people and I think yeah. we're five years into that now, and I mean, just I've been, I'm booked, I'm booked out till uh, November already next year. I mean, it's, wow. it's crazy. Yeah. Well, that you know, things happen for a reason. You know, is what I always believe in and stuff, and what my faith has showed me through life and everything. And and I know it's probably the same for you. I mean, you know, jumping into the into the military. You know, at the time you did, I mean, what the heck was that like, you know, going in and then, you know, with what happened, you know, on 9-11 and stuff, 
you know, just the, what is it, a year and a half after you got in or something? I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, 99. The whole world changed. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I didn't, war was not even, a, a, I mean, you joined the Marine Corps infantry and, and, and not expecting to go to war. And, and then yeah. all of a sudden the plane hits and it's like, oh, this just got real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was a pretty crazy time. Um, I mean, it, we were touch and go. We were one of the last infantry uh, battalions to actually deploy. And when we deployed, I mean, 04 and 05 were, especially November and uh, through January, uh, was some of the, I, mean, I think the three bloodiest months of the entire war uh, were, were while we were there. I mean, it got mm-hmm. pretty hairy. Yeah, it's, um, I have no idea what it was like, you know, and stuff, but I, you know, life changing for sure. Just seeing what you guys saw over there and, and what you were doing for the country. And, and of course, applaud you for, for all that and your service. Um, you know, I've talked to some other guys, um, some friends that we had up actually at the podcast summit last year from out in Tennessee that, that were serving in during the same time and, and same thing, you know, just enlisted just before this broke out and, and, uh, how things changed, you know, how, I mean, how we hadn't been in anything like that, you know, really for a long time, you it's know, and, 91 and yeah, I mean, nobody really knew. Month, you know? and, and even then, I mean, I, I just, it's one of those things in time. Like I remember exactly where I was when those planes hit, I think everybody that, you know, was here during that time remembers that. And, uh, just not knowing what was going to happen and, and seeing how the, the country changed and uh, came together and kind of got behind everything and, and, and just, I don't know, it's, it's tough. And I can't imagine what you guys were going through, you know, over there dealing with this. So um, I applaud you for all that and, and everything. So, um, you know, coming back home, you were talking about you come back and, and go to, go to college and all that. And, and, and the the transition back to civilian life and, and what all that brought. And I think just from talking to other veterans and stuff and, and the, the, the transition there and just how hard it is. And, you know, we, most civilians just can't understand that change from what you guys, you know, like the adrenaline and, and everything that comes back. And what was the key with the hunting side? Once you got into the outdoors and really dove into that, you know, what, I mean, what was it about that? You know, I mean, you talked about the, the camaraderie hunting with other veterans, but I'm sure there was other things that kind of drew you to it. I mean, I tell people all the time, probably like at least four or five of my top 10 hunts of, of my life, I didn't kill anything. Mm-hmm. It was just something crazy that happened. You know, I had a, a, a fisher and a lot of people in the South don't know what a fisher is. It's basically a weasel on steroids. Um, they, uh, it, it, I've, I've seen three in the wild, I think. Yeah. Uh, and I had a fisher climb a tree one time and I, I noticed like the hour before I hadn't heard any squirrels. I was, I was deer hunting. I was bull hunting deer, uh, in the far Northwest corner of Wisconsin. And, uh, I hadn't heard any squirrels rustle leaves. And, and then all of a sudden I see this black or this dark object, uh, kind of scurrying through the underbrush and then he climbs a tree and, uh, he's, he's looking on either side of the tree. And a, a, a rough grouse flies by, and he leapt off the tree, hits the grouse. It doesn't. He, he didn't catch it. He kind of beveled it, and the grouse. He he hit him. I mean, he just didn't snatch him. And he got down to the ground. And it was almost like uh, uh like Taz. He was just like, he was like he was all mad, and he went off on his way. And I I, I had a full day of hunting left. And I was like, I'm done for the day. I'm like, that was the coolest thing I think I'll see in a long time. Yeah. And it, so just just being out there watching the wildlife. Uh, sunset, sunrise. Um, I mean, the the stuff you don't even shoot. Just, I mean, mm-hmm. watching watching a giant. Or just down in Florida, and they had flocks of bluebills that were you know ten thousand deep hitting the spread, and you can only shoot one. So guys are being pretty selective. And just mm-hmm. watching them, the the aerial spectacle. Uh, there's a lot of peace there. Uh, there's a lot of serenity, and um, and that that draws me more than anything uh, the, I, I don't have any bloodlust the kill is necessity you know if you're going to punch a tag or eat uh but the uh, the pursuit of game is is everything that in, that that entails is what draws me to hunting yeah yeah and, and i've i've found myself you know especially the last couple of years with the 
with both of my kids just wanting to spend more time with them in the woods and letting them kind of see how they react and and my daughter's just in love with going to the deer lease with dad and hanging out and and deer hunting and really wanting to get her first turkey and and stuff and and uh, she finally got her first deer last year in missouri at her grandma's farm and which just everything came together so perfect for that hunt we both tagged bucks within five minutes each other and uh on the same sit which was just so cool to be able to share that moment together and stuff but um you know like i was telling you before we started recording it's like we spent almost all this season i've been hunting with them and uh with one kid it's it's pretty easy but the last weekend i had both of them at the same time in the, in the blinds with me which which that was a chore i'll, I'll have to admit having both the both the kids because they're just seven and nine but uh you know they both did really good and and you know that's been probably my biggest passion in the last 10 15 years is is getting youth more involved with outdoors just kind of like you know you with the veterans and stuff and and doing that and just finding some way to give back to to get more people involved because the outdoors are just you know it doesn't it doesn't judge anyone you know everybody can be the same in it and and have you know their own unique experience and stuff and and uh that's what i love about it so but i mean that was one of the things about when i first started filming and i was worried that i wouldn't be part of it i felt like i wouldn't be you know if i wasn't pulling the trigger and it couldn't be more opposite um you know not only do you need to know everything that's going on when you're filming but you're, you're kind of guiding at the same time and mentoring at the same time and mm-hmm. uh you know what some people are calling them adult onset hunters you yep. know like uh, uh there's a lot of vets that have never hunted and if I shoot something, I mean, people on the show used to pick on me. I was very calm. I mean, in my head, I'm doing jumping jacks, you know, like I'm going crazy in my head. But, I, I you know, I really wanted to make sure the animal goes down, uh, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, expires swiftly. And um, I, I didn't I'm not a, I'm not a celebratory guy when it comes to, to, you know, I could shoot the biggest animal ever and I'd. I don't, I, I'm not rah, rah, you know, I'm, yep. and, and, uh, but if I take someone and I see them feel what I'm feeling and feel what I felt, you know, the first couple times and, um, you know, continue as a, you know, very experienced hunter to feel, uh, then I get, I get jazzed. Like I, <laughs> like I get real wound up when I'm able to give that to someone else. I mean, that, yeah. that to me is, is better. I, I, I barely pull the trigger. I, I mean, even th- this last week in Florida, I, I had, I don't think, I don't think I, after I shot my, my fullest duck, I was like, man, I think that's the first time in this season besides cranes that I shot at a bird minus yeah. a camera. And I was, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Have you done much? Um, have you got to do much turkey hunting? I mean, that's, that's oh, yeah. probably my favorite thing to do is just, just going out and taking pictures of them, you know, you know, and hunting them too. But golly, it's turkeys are the most addictive thing to me, you know, my <laughs> point of view of, of chasing just cause you know, it's so interactive with them and uh, it seems like a good, it's a good icebreaker for people wanting to get in. You know, some people are hesitant about maybe shooting a deer or something. They could go shoot a duck or, or a turkey or something like that, you know, for the first time. Um, yeah, I mean, turkey hunting, I don't film a lot of turkey hunts. Um, turkey hunting is my kind of time of the year. I mean, I, I do take a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, but I don't film it. Um, it's kind of my, you know, my time during the year where I get to hunt um, and, and filming them is tough unless you're in a blind just because their eyesight. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I jam it in April through May. Um, you know, I got Rio's in Texas. Sometimes I'll go shoot a Miriam out, out west. Um, but I mean, I can, in Wisconsin, you play the, the draw system, right. And the leftover draw system, right. I mean, I've had 10 tags in a season and I'm gone early in the morning and I hunt all morning and then sometimes midday. And my wife is like, this is, this is supposed to be your hunt while you're at home. And I'm not, you know, I'm, <laughs> she, doesn't know she doesn't know that I'm taking a nap <laughs> on the tree at midday. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, turkey hunting is one of my favorites just because it's a it's it's a chess game with them, and uh, it, the the seasons here are, are a week long, uh, Wednesday through the Tuesday evening, and you know sometimes I don't I don't get that bird till Tuesday Tuesday evening or 
or Monday. And I, I kind of like to pick birds if I can tell it's, you know, a three or a four year old. Um, you know, I may have a, a two year old Tom give it up. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to pick the bird that beats me. And even if I eat that tag, like, I mean, the the biggest spurred bird I ever killed, I killed on the second to last day of the, it was the last week, and I had hunted him like four different tags, and he beat me every time, and I got him the last day, and like, that was, that's my favorite bird of all time, because he, he actually looked at me, uh, <laughs> caught him with his pants down, uh, I was, I was scouting for the next morning, I didn't even have camo with me, I was in flip-flops, shorts, and a, and a wife beater tank top, and a backwards hat. I had my shotgun in the truck, and I, he was in an area on a little ten-acre woods, uh, going out into an open farm field. And he was in a little depression. And I was like, I think I can get to him through the woods. And I got to the edge of the woods, and he saw me right as I saw him. And he he didn't run, he didn't fly, he didn't do nothing. He looked at me and like hunkered his shoulders down, like get it over, you you win, man. And it was and like I I almost felt bad taking him because I was like, man, me and you had we had two months where we were just back and forth, and he'd beat me so many times, like just to, I mean that that that's tricky on for me. Yeah, we had um we had a hunt where my buddy we had we had roosted some birds the night before. He had to leave. He was a sheriff's deputy up in Oklahoma, and he had to leave the next morning to go to work, but he had to be out of there by like. 9 30 so we go in the morning and we get set up before before daylight when you know they start gobbling about 7 45 down they come and we, we knew there was at least two birds there they ended up being like three or three to four um we seen three but we had one that come out and he was limping like he had a broke leg and i mean you could see him walking through the woods and so we got ready and got on this bird and he he come out and my buddy's shotgun wasn't fully engaged and he just went click. And I was like, Oh no. And the bird heard it and walked back in the trees and just stood there gobbled. And so fixed the shotgun. This was his first turkey he was ever going to get. And we eventually ended up getting one and out of this group, but it was a, it was a Jake. And, uh, but he, he took it for his first bird and that bird disappeared. But I mean, I watched that bird. It looked like it couldn't walk more than, just just limping along in the woods and so we get that bird done and dressed and clean and get him off to work and then about two hours later we go back out about 500 yards 600 yards from where we were at initially that morning and uh, we're walking through the woods and i struck struck up a bird and we get it and it's coming so we get down me and my other buddy and we're sitting there you know ready for it and it's coming up this ridge and it comes up it's the same damn turkey sitting there just limping just limping along and i'm like oh man we're gonna get a shot at him he comes up and somehow he ends up my buddy moved or i moved or something and that bird turned probably ran faster than any turkey i've ever seen and we never got him but we've seen him twice in that same day and and uh, thought it was going to be a you know a kind of an easy hunt you know to get him you know kind of take him out since he was injured but Oh no, they're crazy. They're very aggravating, but it's the most fun and frustrating animal I've ever hunted. I love it. <laughs> I, I'm actually taking some guy, uh, taking a client down to Florida in March. Uh, well, I've only shot one Osceola. I got one one Grand Slam. Um, I don't know that I'll shoot one or not, but yeah. uh, just to go uh, chase some Florida Osceolas is gonna be cool again. I haven't done that in a while, so I'm yeah, excited. I haven't I haven't got to do that yet. Um, I've got to hunt them i've hunted birds in nebraska and here oklahoma missouri and stuff and that's about the extent of it but man they're, they're just a lot of fun so where, where but, did you go in nebraska uh we were up near omaha area okay so the easterns or oh, yeah they, they were easterns so or yeah i think kind of still i guess they probably have hybrids up there i don't Hybrid. know if they're real eastern hybrids maybe but but um but it was it was Big country up there is fun chasing bird. I really want to go after Miriam's at some point. So and get an eastern here in Texas, which is pretty difficult because right. there's not a lot of places to hunt them here. But we've got mm-hmm. we've got some areas that have got a lot of birds on public land. It's just they get a lot of pressure. So, but that was one thing I was going to ask you because I know you spend a lot of time down here in Texas. It seems like, um, and it's hard to explain people because Texas is just 
seems so much different than everywhere else in the United States as far as hunting and being, you know, we're like 90, upper 90% private land and stuff. And, and the, the, the models here just a little bit different than from other areas, you know, in the country as far as conservation strategies, management strategies, stuff like that. But kind of mm-hmm. what's your take? I mean, it's, it's almost like going to Africa. I mean, we have pretty much everything living down here. The uh, first trip I ever took to Africa, just the vegetation, uh, the, you know, the the bush, so to say, I was like, man, this reminds me of Texas. Like, yeah. that, that, was, that was my first thought when I got out of uh, Johannesburg and up into Limpopo, which is in the northeast. I was just like, wow, like, I mean, this is like Texas hunting. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd done a lot of exotic hunts in, in Texas, uh, you know, some free range. Sometimes we, you know, have a more of a... Uh, disabled or uh you know injured vet you know, on a high fence for whatever you know like gems buck and all kinds of crazy stuff but uh yeah it's 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 very similar you could do a lot of stock hunting um i mean in africa too like i mean south africa it's all big ranches and mm-hmm. i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of parallels actually the first the, the first hunt that we guided in uh in texas for for rios uh the outfitter had a guy from, I think he was from Ohio, and we're. I thought we were going to get to these birds, and we just couldn't get to them the right way. And I was like, "All right, Plan B. We're going to walk back to the truck, go back to the drawing board." And as we're walking out, two toms together are kind of skirting where we're going to. Cr- they're going to cross our path, so it's like hunker down, and we're we're shoulder to shoulder, but with our backs to each other. Yeah, and. All of a sudden, I mean, they're, they're coming. I mean, I got them. I'm, I got them just on a string coming. They're they're hollering their heads off. And all of a sudden, he's elbowing me. He's like, dude, 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 dude. And I was like, calm down. They're coming. He's like, is that a zebra? <laughs> said, yeah. Welcome to Texas, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did I shoot that? And I'm like, oh, let's, uh, let's go see how much the rancher wants to charge for Yeah, that. add a couple more zeros to your bill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's 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 crazy down here. Um, it's it's cool that that these animals can live and thrive here. You know, when that when they're, their home ranges, they're you know a lot of them are on the verge of extinction and and just being eradicated completely. And here they're just all over. I just if we could get the axis deer to come a little bit closer to my deer lease, I'd be really happy. <laughs> So, give it time they'll be there yeah i know we, we keep saying that we keep seeing them about two miles away but they just haven't quite made it to our our land that we hunt on um but, look, it, but at it's, the, look at the scimitar in the attics you know from yeah. you know, the saharan era area of africa uh chad the country of chad um i mean scimitar is completely extinct in the wild and between texas and uh some of the arab countries some of the bigger oil countries mm-hmm. Uh, with private collections, uh, they're they're doing a reintroduction pro- project right now. I mean, they they'd be gone from the wild. Pure David's deer from China yep. was gone. Uh, they're, they're now thriving, uh, and the Chinese surprisingly are, are on board with some more of the conservation issues. Um, when, it, when at least when it comes to animals, um, and the attics is completely extinct in the wild. They're they're all over the place. I mean, every every ranch you drive by has got attics and scimitar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's um. It's, it's, uh, nothing I was ever exposed to in, in Oklahoma growing up, you know, it was just whitetail, whitetail, and you might see a turkey here and there and, uh, coming down here is a big eye opener and stuff. And, um, I've gotten to take, a- uh, axis and some, some black buck and which are probably, in my opinion, one of the prettiest animals there is, man, just a, a mature male black buck and, and stuff and they're just so cool looking they're not very big but they look they very look kind of big but they're they're pretty small but uh but they you know i i enjoyed eating the meat off of them a lot of people say oh it's antelope i don't like antelope you know and it's like when i went i went up to wyoming and we got to hunt pronghorn um probably about nine ten years ago up there with my friend from nebraska and uh and one of my buddies was like well you might as well soak it in kerosene and light it on fire before you eat it and just because all the sagebrush stuff but where the animals where we were hunting they were all eating grass i mean it was it was really good meat and i ended up harvesting a buck and two does while we were up there and and um really enjoyed it and that was probably one of my favorite hunts i've ever done it was a lot of work 
I don't understand the uh, the the negativity with the. the I mean, mule deer. I, I I do not care for mule deer. Um, I mean, I'll eat it if I shoot when I'm eating it. Mm-hmm. Um, but antelope, I think the antelope is delicious. Like yeah, me too. Um, my wife and kids love it. I've never had a bad one. Uh, I mean, I think you really got to make sure you get them. Uh, you know, the neck and cavity all opened up and on ice and ready to go because a lot of times antelope season's in what late september and it's still pretty yeah. hot out in wyoming yeah uh, as long as you take care of the meat it, i think it's fantastic yeah it was uh super rainy when we went i mean opening day up there we were there and it, it was pretty much boring half the day but we i got my buck the first day and you know you prepare for these long range shots and you know 200 plus 300 plus yards and you know we're getting on I've never done a hunt like that. So I, you know, I trained and and did a lot of, a lot of, you know, walking and hiking and packing, packing weight around the neighborhood before going up there. And and, uh, I think the first day we walked like 14 miles, you know, and, and chased, I don't know how many different groups, you know, because if you spook one, they run three miles before they stop and you got to go find another one. And I remember it was like middle of the day and we were walking and there was people everywhere so i mean you'd hear a shot and here come a group running by you and and they'd go a mile from you and stop it seemed like and then i just happened to look back and i seen one little dot on the side of this hill and seen orange dots all around it but nobody was shooting at it so we were like i guess i can't see it and then we looked and glassed it and it was a buck and so we took off and it was probably like a mile and a half away i mean you couldn't really tell how good it was but we went after it and we ended up getting close and uh, my buddy crept up over the ridge and it was like 64 yards. I think is what we ranged it at right. when we crawled up. And so I crawled up right behind him and got up there and it was bedded down sleeping with all that crap going on, all the gunshots and then Buck was just yeah. sitting there chilling. Yeah. And, uh, and he, he, I guess he finally realized we were there. He stood up and I shot him right there as soon as he stood up and he, he ran about 20 yards and fell over and, it ended up being a really nice mature buck for that area. It was like 14, 14 inch horns on him. And, uh, even the game warden that checked it, you know, said it was pretty good for that spot. So I was really happy with that. And then, and then the does, they gave me a run for my money. I had, uh, you know, my gun chambered three bullets and, and, and it took three shots on both of them before I could <laughs> get them. But, but, uh, it was fun. It was a really fun hunt and cheap too. It wasn't very expensive. Not anymore. So, Did you see what they did? I haven't I haven't seen what the prices are, but I know when we when we went, man, it was like three hundred three hundred fifty bucks for all three tags at the time. Wyoming so, uh, changed. Uh, I think it's ninety ten resident non resident draw for antelope, mule deer, elk, and the prices on the tags went up ninety percent. Wow, that's crazy! They, they just did that this year. Uh, I cashed in my elk points last year. Uh, I've been waiting for Red Desert, uh, which is kind of the premier location for for pronghorn. I think mm-hmm. I need 15 points for that, and I got I, I, that. Might, I, I might. I think you need to max out your points uh, for that, and I've got like 14, and I've got like 11 or 12 mule deer. So I'll probably put that in next year, and yeah, um, I'm kind of pushing non-residents out, which stinks because there's so much public there and i mean that that, that, mm-hmm. that was the place to go out of state and uh, yeah I don't, I'm, I'm not gonna get into the politics of why they did it and you know it just it, it's disappointing because that was a that was a, a, a place i brought a lot of people mm-hmm. that weren't from the west and, you know i was able to get them out there and get them get them their western hunting experience yeah that's what it was for me i mean absolutely so um, I think we just, we, we ended up buying a preference point the year before and almost guaranteed a draw somewhere. And luckily we all got drawn, you know, for the same unit and stuff. So, but yeah, it's a shame. I mean, there's a lot of that crap going on in, in States all across the United States and, um, Alaska's talking about eliminating caribou for non-residents and it's happening in a yeah. lot of places. Yep. So I know, um, just population increases i mean just here in texas i mean we're predicted to double our population in the next 20 years and there's already so many people here i mean i live right basically in houston and it's i mean you know if you get stuck in traffic it could take you four and a half five hours to get across town you know 
and it's it's uh it sucks so when i go to the deer lease i have to leave at the right time to get across yeah. get out of town i can get it get out of houston in about an hour but if you miss it man you get stuck in traffic it, it's it's terrible but um you know we've here i mean you really have to pay to play i mean you know hunt you got to hunt private land yeah. for the most part and and lease lease prices down here i mean we've been pretty blessed with our landowner and we've had a relationship with them for over 20 almost almost 30 years and um i've been hunting there i actually shot my very first deer on the place we're hunting now uh, awesome. when we moved down here so that was kind of cool kind of full circle come back and get to to help manage that property now um but you know it's nothing for thirty five hundred dollars for just for whitetail season you know a lot, yeah. a lot of places that you can only be there during whitetail season luckily we can go all year round and and take guests and stuff up there but um it's expensive because everybody's always asking it's like do you have any spots on your lease or you know where anyone has any openings I'm like man i have no idea it's like you'll have to just get on some of the message boards and or just go out and drive and talk to landowners. I mean, that's probably the best number one way to do it is finding, finding somebody, but it's, it's tough, but, um, it's, it's a, it's a good way. Cause you know, you not you don't own the property, but you feel like you're, you're so invested in it, you know, especially yeah. since we're there all the time and, and, um, you feel like, you know, those animals and, and have a vested interest just in, in their well being. And being able to help, you know, help them out and, and be able to harvest some during the season. So, but, you know, cause growing up in Oklahoma and, and I don't know about where it's up for y'all, do y'all have like duck leases and stuff, or is it just all pretty much public land? Um, where y'all there's are a lot of, the, the whole, the whole Northern third of the state is two very large national forests. Um, so, I mean, the, Deer hunting, it used to be a deer hunting mecca. I mean, there's Pope, number one Pope and Young state is Wisconsin. However, the wolf population, uh, bear are overpopulated, buried a lot of fawn, a couple hard winters, mismanagement with doe tags. Uh, I, I do not deer hunt the northern, I don't deer hunt the state of Wisconsin anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm in a very much different position and, you know, than, than, any of my peers around here i i mean i have access all over the country yeah because uh, the cameras open that up for me um but uh i mean as far as ducks i mean you got tons and tons and tons of you know public waterways uh the field hunting that's a little more competitive uh those are not leased out yet around us in the you know in the, the fox valley uh, uh the green bay area mm-hmm. uh, there is a ton of leases along the Mississippi River still for deer. Um, that's uh, Buffalo, Pepin County. Those are still major, major awesome genetics. Um, I mean, if you got road access to to a, uh, to a, a property, it, the leases are not cheap. I mean, that, yeah. there's some big time people uh, in, the, in the filming side of things that come shoot big bucks up here mm-hmm. uh, in those counties. But uh, as far as leasing land, that, that, it's not it's not a huge thing yet I, I i hope it doesn't get to that point um i will say that if you knock on a farmer's door to shoot deer it's not going to happen but if you knock on a farmer's door to shoot turkeys or ducks the odds are pretty good yeah yeah that's um you know i don't know what where the where it ends down here you know i mean we're the state is that i mean we just passed some legislation down here to to actually help purchase more land and open some more some more areas for for public access for hunting and and some new state parks and stuff like that and and increase the size of some of the WMAs and and stuff so we'll see what kind of opportunities that opens up for here in Texas um but what little public access we have there is a lot of work going into it to improve it which i guess you know continually is a good thing um, we're doing all these, they're really working on trying to reestablish the Eastern Turkey here in Texas. Yes. I mean, there's yes. tons of work going into that. And, um, you know, I work with the department and, and know a lot of the team that's, that's on that job doing the super stockings and, and all that. I mean, we're bringing in birds from all over the place. I mean, we've been bringing in a ton of birds from Maine the last couple of years and okay. stocking in some of these areas. And, and, uh, that's, that's a really cool and unique way to get involved is 
um, a friend of mine who was the president of our local NWTF chapter, he, he actually started the co-op where he has some family land in East Texas and, and got, man, I think, I can't remember what the minimum acreage is. It's, it's quite a bit, but he got enough landowners together and they did, they did the right steps, the burning and, and the habitat management and stuff. And, and finally got approved and they're going to be getting birds stocked maybe starting this, this coming year. Um, but they usually try to do 80 minimum 80 birds per site that they bring in, which is, which is pretty good. And, and they'll be able to tag some of those and track them and, and look at mortality. And so they'll be doing ongoing studies and all these, all these sites that they're putting birds on. And there's, they're doing that on some private lands too, which I didn't know about till last year. Um, I finally got to go on a, on a release that was on private land, which was, if you've never been on one, that's, that's a pretty cool thing to see. So I got to take my kids sure. up there and they got to release some birds and, awesome. and watch them fly off into the woods and stuff. So, um, seeing stuff like that, I mean, there's so many cool projects going around the country and work on black bears and, and there's, of course, all the, all the stuff here recently, you know, that's probably not good with the release of wolves back into Colorado and everything here in the last couple of weeks. And don't, don't get me fired I, up. I know it's, it's, it's a, it, it's crazy when some people can just make a decision and not really look at the conservation side of things and, and oh, they, management. They the biologists. I mean, they, the, yeah. the, the, the state employee biologists were against it and they, yep. they just, nope, they did it at the ballot box. Yep. So, I guess we'll see. It's gonna hopefully not um, destroy everything they've been working on out there. Uh, so. it, uh, the wolves we got here, you know, I, I'm I'm not a you know smoke a pack a day, kill them all guy. I'm not. Um, but uh, biodiversity is a good thing. But management, you know, man screwed everything up. Man has uh, impacted the habitat. Man should be in charge of managing it. And you get the people with the right education and the right you know credentials and knowledge to do that. Um, the, the, it, here, here, here in Wisconsin, our, our, our deer herd is destroyed. Um, they, I've met people when I'm out hunting or trapping or whatever that do the counting for the U S fishing game and for, for Wisconsin DNR. And I'll tell them, you know, like, cause a lot of times the wolf wolves will, will skirt the road with two, with two out of the pack the rest of the pack is in the woods and the, those two will push deer into the the main pack yeah and they'll go up oh, there's two wolves here i'm like no there's about 15 in there and they won't even leave their they won't leave the road and i'm like man this is the completely undercounted we had a season one year and i, I don't know the exact numbers Let, let's say the quota was 103 wolves and in three days there was like 133 wolves or i, I mean i'm just making the numbers up mm-hmm. um that were that were tagged you had 24 hours to report your report your uh punch tag and you know the headlines read hunters kill over quota what the headlines should read is we have too many damn wolves and you know the original number that they wanted it, it, it's beyond that tenfold and they they come in uh they, they wipe out an area and they move on and then and you know a pack stays there and a new pack forms and if we're managing them i have no problem with them being them being here but they're uh, it, you know, just just from you know years on social media, if I kill a deer or if I kill a duck, nobody bats an eye. But if I shoot a wolf or a bear or something or a, or a lion and something fuzzy yeah. and cute, the people lose their minds. Yeah. And and even even some you know in quotation marks hunters, oh, I can't believe you would kill an apex predator. I'm like, do you have a brain that? The, yeah. I mean, especially mountain lion. I mean that they they're there's plenty of them there we're we're not out here to to eradicate them we're out here to to put them in check and 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 keep the balance of population there keep a healthy you know ho- hooved uh cervity and uh you know elk population and uh, it, it's it's out of control where politics is is entered and and just completely screwed the system yeah I was going to bring mountain lions up here in a second. So you jumped, you jumped right into it and stuff. And it's been a hot topic down here too. Um, I know, did you see, uh, deep in the heart when it came out last year, the documentary that Ben Masters no. put together, I'll send you the link to it. it should be on Amazon, um, where you can watch it, but it, it's, it's really good. You should definitely take the time to, to look at that documentary. And it's basically the history of wildlife in Texas and, and a lot of the projects going on for all the different species, but, 
one of the big ones they hit on was mountain lions and and it stirred up some 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 conversations on on potential um regulations here you know as far as like just let's put some more effort you know there's nothing really on mountain lions here in texas i mean you can you can hunt them you know and and they're, they're considered a varmint in texas aren't they to a lot of ranchers probably yep i mean that, there's <laughs> uh, there's a lot that was the documentary was looking at it from that viewpoint you know from from trapping them you know setting out traps for them and stuff to keep them off the livestock and stuff on these big ranches and and stuff and, and i mean just in the last 10 years there's there's been you know with the advent of game cameras i mean look what all has come to light i mean you see just yeah. so many the large numbers of these things out there and uh, i mean we have them in our area where we hunt and and stuff and i mean they're all all over the state um but uh you know they're potentially looking at putting a, a task a, a team together to look at you know let's get a real idea of kind of what we think the numbers are and do we need to manage them in some fashion you know with tags or something like that and who knows where that'll go but you know it brought up an interesting point you know with something and there's getting in it's like the fishing side where I'm at. There's a lot of species down here. People say, well, we need to make them a game fish, you know, because the species numbers are, are going down, dwindling, and, and they're not a game fish. So we can't really protect them. And talking specifically about flounder because we're yeah. still allowed to gig them down here. And it's more of a pastime. It's been around forever. And if they become a game fish, that excludes gigging. You know, everything has to be caught by hook, hook and line. Um, and so that'll probably never happen. Um, and hopefully not to the detriment of that fish, but, but, you know, all these species, you know, they, they all face different, different things, but, um, you know, mountain lions, you know, like you were talking about bears and all that stuff, I mean, the Disney effect of, of yeah. seeing animals on TV and, and stuff. And then you see somebody host, hoisting one up and taking a picture and putting a selfie up and stuff and all the crappy comments that you get and stuff and people just they don't understand the the management side of things and i've talked to a lot of people about like why in africa why they hunt these things you know if there wasn't hunting there wouldn't be any of them they'd all be poached yeah. out i mean there would there would be no money in it for anyone all these people would, would pretty much starve to death you know i mean all that meat I mean, I've, look at cheetahs <laughs> in africa che cheetah is not a huntable game species in south africa so if you're a ranch owner, and you know I'm not saying I agree with this, but if you're you're a ranch owner, and you've got your 500,000 acres, and you've got your impalas, your eland zebra, whatnot, that you are selling hunts for, and you are managing that population because you want it healthy and you want want it you know an ample population to to have to have hunts, cheetahs are eating your profits, so. Even though cheetahs are banned from hunting, I guarantee you every rancher in South Africa is killing every cheetah they see. Mm -hmm. They won't kill the caracals. They won't kill the servals uh, uh, because those can be hunted and they can make a pile of change off them. And it sucks that greed and money runs it, but if, if it works to your advantage, conservation-wise, yeah. if they put cheetah on a limited uh, tag quota for South Africa and, and Put fifty, a hundred. I don't care. Hundred thousand dollar on a tag. There's going to be people that would do it, and mm -hmm. and, and then you, and then now the ranchers would want them. You know, if they can sell a hundred thousand dollar hunt, yeah. golly, they're doing it. You know, yeah, that's like all these everybody charging to go pig hunting down here now, and you know, ten twenty years ago, people just wanted them gone, and now they're everywhere, but they can make money off of them. So yeah, it's going on. Yep. So man, that's a. Uh, another thing, there was just something come out in the news today about a bunch of wild hogs have been spotted down on Galveston Island, you know, in the state park. And, and I was like, man, there's pigs everywhere. I mean, we got them right outside our neighborhood here where I live. You know, we've seen them get hit by cars and, and seen them rooting up areas and stuff. And I keep hearing all these, um, reading these articles and hearing all these stories about these, these giant boars that are going to be coming in from Canada and up in the North and stuff. Have you heard much about, about that? Uh, Saskatchewan and maybe Alberta, um, Manitoba, um, towards the North Dakota border. There's, uh, farmers were breeding 
you know, pigs as livestock um, that were, you know, genetically uh, predispositioned to dealing with the cold. Um, and those have gotten out, and it's kind of the same situation. Yeah, they're 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 making money off it. Um, I would say in twenty years you're going to have the northern pack meet the southern pack, and I mean they're pushing in the 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 southern feral hogs are pushing into Iowa now already. Yeah. So it's a matter of time. You, you'll have, you'll never get pigs under control. You we'll can't have the uh, super pigs running through the woods. <laughs> I mean, it, it, when pigs come to Wisconsin, I don't have any reason to leave. I'll be making money. <laughs> I mean, I seen a picture the other day where one was uh, trying to mount a zebra or something at some ranch. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me. So, yeah, the pigs I've got at, at 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 my feeder right now. They've been living there for the past six months. I mean, I've watched them since they were basically shoats, and now they're about a hundred and hundred twenty five pound yeah. hogs, and you know, haven't they've already ran through one? Just because I haven't had time to get up there and hunt them but i watch them every day on my camera you know just keep getting bigger and bigger eating eating all the food before the deer can get to it and hopefully uh hopefully we can knock a few down this weekend but we tried last weekend me and my boy we snuck down there about 10 30 at night when they showed up and uh got pretty dang close and then silly dad stepped on a twig in the dark which it was pitch freaking black and i did not want to turn the light on and uh they all took <laughs> off so <laughs> but we got one last year down like that just stalking in on and i've got some lights on my feeder and stuff so we could go down and see them but but uh man if you've never hunted pigs that is a huge adrenaline rush i mean those things are so so freaking smart so I've, I've, you know i've done it thermals a few times and you know or sitting a stand a few times i, I prefer the you know stalking method mm -hmm. uh, but then i did hog dogging and that changed everything that uh, that is my favorite thing it, it's the funnest dumbest thing i ever done <laughs> where did you get to do that at uh i did it in laredo a few times um uh which is a whole different uh atmosphere than and an environment than florida and i've been doing it in florida and central florida the last couple times uh florida the, the vegetation so much thicker um you know when the when the hounds go in and they got them bait up and you send that catch dog in you you can't see a lot of what's going on and it's going on five feet in front of you there's all that sawgrass and palmetto mm -hmm. and um it, when the hog is or when the you know hogs and dogs are running around it's it's almost like the movie predator when he goes invisible all you see is the vegetation moving you're like oh man <laughs> it's a, it, it gets uh it, it gets pretty wild yeah um it, a lot can go wrong when and at least in you know south texas you can see a little bit uh even in in the the thicker brush um mm -hmm. but it, it's just a the it is an adrenaline dump like no other i mean it, when the danger factor is up i mean i enjoy that for some yeah. dumb reason yeah <laughs> shoot well um why don't you uh talk a little bit about you know, some of the veteran stuff you do, I know with your group and some of the other groups you've worked with and just what has that really meant to you being able to, to give back to those guys and, and stuff. I mean, when, when you give your, your cup is full, um, you know, like I was talking about earlier when, when I'm able to take people and, and give the gift of hunting and, and then see their emotional roller coaster and feel it with them. Uh, I, I leave full, you know, and uh, knowing what, that has done for me I, you know some of these guys you bring them on a hunt uh especially waterfall you, you got four or five guys in a boat or a you know 10 12 guys in a a-frame or, or, or uh, layout blinds and um you watch the relationships that are built through you know through the setting of the outdoors and you'll see these guys that never met each other before but you know but they've got a shared ex you know a shared past a shared experience a common experience of uh, from from combat mm -hmm. um even though they weren't there together they they mesh really quickly and uh you'll you'll see them go hunting on a uh, you'll see them going on a trip three four or five years down the road together and, and it's cool it, it, it helps build their network i say I, I say often that it's a it's another tool in the toolbox for ptsd um you know if i'm if i haven't been outside for a while if i haven't been out in the bush um I, I can feel it. I start getting antsy. I start getting anxiety and, and, and being able to take, especially guys that have, that have never done it before. You, it, it, you bring them into this world and 
Uh, I remember a guy that I took on a duck hunt. He was a trapper. He was already an outdoorsman. Yeah. Uh, but he's like, man, I don't want to go on that duck hunt. He's like, there's, he's like, I, it'll cut into my trapping time. And if that guy ain't a duck hunt, fool him out. Like, <laughs> he's duck boat, duck dog. He even calls his wife his duck wife, and uh, <laughs> he's all about it. And just and seeing people grow and uh, open up their uh, their horizons a little bit is it, it, that. I won't stop doing this until I'm not physically able. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, there's no uh, a TV show could approach me and say, "Hey, we want you back on." Unless we were filming vet hunts, unless we were continuing to do these events, I don't know that mm-hmm. I would do it. I, I don't need to do it anymore. Uh, I don't need to accomplish anything more. There's no pride in it for me uh, to be like, "Oh yeah, I shot the biggest elk." Doesn't matter to me anymore. Um, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll still occasionally pull the trigger myself just to put some meat in the freezer but i mean seeing these guys flourish and thrive after an event and seeing a guy i mean uh you know a wife or uh one of their buddies from service message us and say hey like dude came back from that and like he's a whole new person that that that's it right there for me yeah yeah and like when covid was going on did that I mean, I know that had to affect a lot of the stuff that was that you were trying to do and and things. How how was that time? We we kept rolling. I mean, huh? we kept rolling. We kept doing That's events awesome. uh, as long as as long as the guys were cool with it, and ninety nine point nine percent were. Um, I uh, I mean, I made traveling tough, but I mean that was yeah. just because of all the stupid rules. That's good that y'all were able to keep doing that. I mean, we had, we did, we do a lot of youth events, man. We had everything got canceled. I mean, just, you know, for two years and, um, that, that was really a big downer, not getting able to get those kids. Cause you don't know, you know, if they'll ever get that chance again, a lot of, a lot of the kids that we take, you know, just like some of the veteran stuff, probably it's like, if you can't get them out, you don't know if they're going to get that, that chance or that push to go and, and experience that and stuff. So that was a, that was a pretty crappy time to, to, I mean, some of the organizations that I help out with, you know, that, uh, focus more on kids with, uh, life threatening, uh, ailments, uh, you know, kids with cancer and stuff that, that mm-hmm. definitely, uh, there was, there was touch and go during the, the, the COVID time period. I mean, you were respecting, you know, that the, if they're battling cancer and going through chemo, yeah. they're more susceptible to everything else. Um, but we're even even those those organizations they roll they're up and rolling and um, what's really cool here in Wisconsin is if you have if you draw a bear tag you know you got to put in for points and you got enough points you draw you can donate your tag to a Purple Heart veteran or to uh, a kid with a life threatening illness or disability and there's probably six or seven nonprofits here that are all behind the scenes um, you know that we got zone A through D and uh, you know, I'm, I may not have, any, have anybody in zone A or zone C and, but I got a, somebody called me and said, Hey, I got this tag. I'll take the tag. And then, you know, I, I get on the horn and I call that the other nonprofit that I know that's got the logistics set up there and Hey, got a tag, boom, done. And it's all done behind the scenes. There's no arguing. There's no infighting. There's no, nobody looking for a pat on the back. It's just, all, everything's getting mixed and matched and moved to where we can facilitate amongst the, all the different orgs, uh, as many hunts as possible. The end goal is to get people out. It doesn't matter who does it. That's really cool. That's a, that's yeah, a really cool deal. That's awesome, man. Shoot. Well, um, well, I don't want to keep you all night. I know it's late for, for both of us and stuff, oh, but, um, but I appreciate you coming on. Um, why don't you uh, just kind of give us an uh, update on where we can follow along on on all your social channels and YouTube and all that? Uh, every everything for for myself is under Ryan Off the Grid, uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and then uh, we have Instagram pages for High Point Adventures and uh, Facebook page for them as well. Sweet man. Well, if you want to watch the videos, it's Ryan Off the Grid on YouTube. That's awesome. Yep. Well, I appreciate it, man, and uh, keep up the good work, and hopefully we can uh, connect down here in Texas sometime. Maybe we can get you to the summit next year, or at least get down here and go fishing while you're here sometime. Sounds so, good. That'd be fun. So, all right, man, Ryan, appreciate it. Thank you.